It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last minute. That right there is a lot of Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned in to yet another exciting adventure with us here on this calendar. We are coming to you live-ish from a tiny shack in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or thereabouts. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual, and we have a uh, a great little show for you today. You know, I, I don't talk a lot about, on this show at least, uh, the other side of the things that I do. I'm a music photographer. I've shot... Uh, that's actually how Chunky Glasses started. That was around way before... Discologist or the predecessing podcast, and uh, and I got into it because of a love of music, and honestly, uh, because I got bored of going to shows um, and just sort of standing there and not doing anything. And uh, as chance would have it, circumstances just led to my first show being uh, Newport Folk Festival way back in I think it was 2011 or 2012. Uh, I've been in a lot of pits. I've seen a lot of great shows from the very very front row and um, it is it remains sort of the most fun I've had doing this stuff but I'm also a big fan uh, because of this of all these great music photographers out there you look at people like Mauricio Castro who does their stuff for uh, us back in DC all the the stable photographers there uh, it is a it's a very unique art form um, that is exhilarating and and captures moments I think in a way that very few art forms do. Jay Blakesberger yesterday is one of the best at it. He has had a career that has taken him, you know, from photographing the Grateful Dead to photographing bands like Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers to back again into the jam scene. Uh, he is one of the preeminent photographers of not just the jam scene, but I think music photographers. And he has a new book coming out called Jerry Garcia, The Secret Space of Dreams that sort of traces uh, Jerry Garcia's life through about the time that uh, Jay caught up with him and started shooting the band and started uh, doing shoots for the band and uh, and it's it's a moving it's a moving sort of pictorial essay about a figure that you know we're seeing this Grateful Dead Renaissance and and Garcia is is I think just now getting props as more just this like guitar guy this this normal guy who just wanted to to get off on what he played uh, than sort of some cosmic uh, cult leader and uh, and this goes a long way I think to to bring that into focus pardon the pun uh, but but Jay is a uh, super cool dude so we got in touch with him and me and my friend PJ Sykes are going to nerd out with him about all things music photography there's a lot to learn in here and uh, if you are a music photographer you're going to hear a lot of stuff that uh, that you know you find familiar, but a lot of stuff that you don't about your craft. And if you're not, uh, it, this is a fascinating conversation about all the work that goes into these images that you love, and uh, and maybe maybe it's an inspiration to, for you to pick up a camera, get in the pit, uh, and uh, and be the next Jay Blakesburg. because you can. It, it's that easy. 
Um, but that's what we're going to be doing this week. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk to you about the Osiris Network. We are a member of the Osiris Podcast Network. Go to osirispod.com. You're going to see a whole slew of shows talking about the music you love. You're going to see us. You're going to see a great podcasts like Dead to Me. Great podcasts like Broke Down Pod. Jonathan from there was just on here talking about the His Golden Messenger album. He also interviewed our friend Nick Sanborn, who's half of Sylvanesso, but also half of, of the sort of Bluebird project with Chris Rosenau, which we reviewed that album. If you haven't checked that out, go back and check it out. But uh, it's it's this whole this whole network uh, that RJ and Tom Marshall are putting together is is just a a big catch-all for all kinds of great music. You got videos, you got podcasts, you got shows, you got news. Uh, lots of stuff coming down the pipe. It's it's a fantastic resource for any uh, person who identifies as a music lover. And you're listening to this, so I know you do. Uh, they're also partnered with Jambase, who really have have sort of cornered the market on all things jam uh, these days. They're out there uh, streaming shows. They're out there taking photographs doing podcasts about all your favorite jam bands so check out both of those and uh and get your fix man with that out of the way let's do it to it here's our conversation with mr jay blakesburg talking about his new book jerry garcia secret space of dreams and so so much more let's do it book <laughs> all right uh that's actually a good way to start because this book that you have coming out uh the secret space of dreams is a is sort of a journey through jerry garcia's life but i think at the same time it's kind of a journey through your life with the dead is that is that accurate? A- absolutely. I mean, I think that all of my books and all of us as photographers, you know, what we photograph is a documentation of the journey of our lives. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, you talk to a lot of people, they're like, wait, was I there or did I do that? Or I can't remember what year that trip was. But if you're a photographer and you took pictures on that trip or at that concert or, you know, on that camping trip and your photos are dated properly... You can be like, oh, yeah, I was camping that weekend and it was, you know, August 12th, 1982, you know, whatever it is. It's funny because I just posted some photos on Instagram this morning of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and and uh, and they were taken on September 16th, 1989. I actually tried to post them two days ago on the 16th, but I failed because I was really busy packing, (laughs) packing books up, shipping advance orders of this Grateful Dead book. But, um, uh, you know. 30 years ago, exactly 30 years ago and and two days, you know, and because my photographs are dated and I know where they're from, like, you know, all of those things that happened around that time sort of flood back into your memory. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when I did the shoot and I had 15 minutes with the chili peppers and, you know, and they were going crazy and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just uh, it's um, it is it is the soundtrack of our lives, our photographs. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think what's something funny about that is especially if it's in a live setting, uh you don't necessarily see it that way at all while it's going on. At least I don't. You know, if you are if you get in the pit, you know, the first three songs, no flash, and you're there, you're having this other experience and then you only see what you really captured after. 
And it's always a fascinating jog to my memory, especially going back and looking at that stuff to see what this concert was like, maybe for other people. I, you, you tend to take a lot of photographs, not just of the bands, but of, of audience members, which I find fascinating and something that I've never really dug into uh, because that reaction of those people seeing the music happening at that time is, is in many ways just as important. Yeah, absolutely. I've always felt like the crowd was a really integral part of it. And there, there's a few reasons for that. Um, you know, yeah, you see photographers that are in the pit for three songs and they turn around at the end of a song and they might get, you know, the crowd, you know, hands up in the air screaming yeah. on the rail and they turn around and try and get the shot of them, you know, uh, you know, hitting the, the last, you know, drum bang symbol, whatever to end the song. Um, for me, uh, I always loved shooting the fans and that goes back to when I'm 18 years old. It goes back 40 mm. years. I mean, I did a book five years ago, five, four years ago called hippie chick, right? Uh, exactly. a, a tale of love, devotion and surrender. And that book is all about music fans, specifically women. Um, but you know, the photos in that book started in 1980 and come up till, you know, till the book came out. Uh, there was a series of photographs that a photographer named William Coupon, do you know that name? Uh, he, he was a New York City music portrait photographer. He did a series of portraits of music fans, but they were like really hardcore, like punk, downtown, New York City, mm-hmm. uh, late 70s, I want to say, maybe early 80s um, people. And I was always super fascinated by that uh, that look, that series of photographs. And, and even though I've never really sat down and done formal portraits of music fans, yeah, I've done portraits of them, but more of an, you know, I do more candid stuff. Um, to me, it's something about that connection between the fan and the music that I think is super important, um, both from a from an energy standpoint, fans and band energy going back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, a documentarian standpoint, right, because we don't dress the same way. Uh, in the in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties, and so it shows that passing of time, right. uh, which as photographers and photojournalists and documentarians is important, and um, and it captures you know a, a time and a space. And so I I lecture a lot, I talk, I do slideshow storytelling presentations uh, when I come out with books. So I have a bunch of these coming up uh, about on this book, mm-hmm. and um, and one of the things that I talk about is my hippie chick book. And I talk about, you know, when you look at these photos that were all shot while the grateful dead was playing, there are no cell phones. Right. 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 Right? So that's the first thing. And so, so just, so, so just to have that, um, to document that situation and to actually just be able to say these words that will never happen again. Yeah. Right. You know, we go to concerts all the time and there's bands on stage and there's stage divers and there's moshers and there's hippies dancing or whatever. And you could say that will happen forever. Right. But, you know, the no cell phone thing is, is, you know, really this um, unique situation that uh, before digital cameras started happening, or at least with the Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia died in 1995. Right. And yeah. so, um, there was it was the beginning of cell phone technology then, and there were people with them, but it wasn't like it is now, where every single person has that phone camera in their pocket. For me, uh, you know, being at Grateful Dead concerts and watching these people be so deep into that experience 
with yeah. that music and those lyrics and those songs and seeing all of this intense, raw, sexual desire, energy, mm-hmm. um, sweat, love, devotion, surrender happening, and you have a camera, why wouldn't you shoot that? Yeah. That that actually gets into, like, why any of us, I think, get into music photography. Like, the bug. when you Because you, you're one of your first shows, if not your first show, was shooting The Grateful Dead, correct? Uh, Well, no. I had shot a few things before The Grateful Dead. I started taking pictures in 78. My first Dead show that I shot was in September of 78. Okay. Uh, and I had my own first camera slightly after that. I think uh, my birthday was December 1st, 78. I turned 17. And my dad got me a camera for the, for that um, uh, for my birthday. I'll have to go back because I know that Roy Buchanan was the first thing that I shot with oh, wow. my my Yashica uh, camera, which is funny, you know, because Yashica, like the great thing about Yashica is back in the seventies, it was all Zeiss glass, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, if you were shooting with Minolta's or even Canons back then, the glass didn't even come close to rivaling Yashica, which really wasn't considered a professional camera brand i'm not really sure if anything was a professional camera brand in 35 millimeter except for nikon back then right uh, sounds I mean, about right yeah. you know canon wasn't really quite the pro brand that it had become mm-hmm. uh, but the thing about the yashikas and i look back on some of these photos that i took when i shot with the 50 millimeter lens and it's actually quite remarkable how crisp and beautiful they are compared to let's say other friends or people that i've seen photographs from from the 70s that were shooting with a pentex or a or Minolta, or even a Canon, or whatever, and and not having the quality of glass that that little funky Yashica had. Yeah, I saw a quote of you somewhere where you you you, you were talking about this, where you, you basically say, and this I, I think is very true, that everybody now has essentially the same glass, the same gear. Um, so it becomes like, what's your? It becomes harder to sort of define like a style, I think. And I know PJ, absolutely, you you have you have a lot of stuff with this, but you also PJ more so than me mess with a lot of the like sort of older equipment, the, the equipment that isn't standard. And yeah. everything you're saying is, uh, I'm not you know part of the deadhead culture, I, and so what everything you're saying is like, sort of echoing my experience with a different, completely different type of music. I think what you're alluding to is that I, I'm very much of the whatever you have, make something with it, you know? And you had that funky camera with the better glass on it, which was cool at the time. Uh, but now everyone has the same, you know, gear. Uh, what can you make with that? You know, what is what is the person's uh, perspective on the event versus... Uh, well, we're, we're all kind of sort of uh, level now you know with well and how do you want to portray that to people right like what do you want people to get out of that image i know you recently took a uh a picture i think one of the last pictures of neil casal and it both of them that you took the one when he's playing and the one with the sunset like that one is Mm -hmm. they're they're striking but in hindsight looking at that and seeing like how what that what that says now in context is uh most people can't get there is what I'm saying with with their lens. I mean, that takes, it takes an eye towards humanity more than anything. Sure. I mean, obviously, you know, and, and, and with the passing of Robert Frank this week, you know, mm-hmm. you, you see a lot of, um, a lot of things, a lot of people saying, you know, there's, there's a portrait going around of Robert Frank holding like a little tiny Olympus point and shoot camera. And, you know, the, the tag, the meme, the line, whatever was something like, it's not about the camera, right? It's about the eye. 
right? And of course, that is completely true. Um, and and you know, in the lens world of things, right? When we first started all shooting digital, um, you know, we all had our twenty four seventy two point eight and our seventy two hundred and our you know fifteen fourteen to twenty four or sixteen to thirty five or whatever your brand was, mm-hmm. you know. And those are like if you go to a concert per se. You know, that's what you're going to see most people out with, like those three lenses or something pretty close to that. Um, I mean, if you're shooting in small clubs, you might see people with some prime faster lenses. And and as of late, you know, like I'm just I, I just feel like also prime lenses really, really are so much sharper than, um, you know, even the best zoom glass that's out there from all of our favorite brands. Nikon, I'm a longtime Nikon user. I've been my whole professional career has been Nikon film and digital. Um, but you know, like, I mean, even just the straight out 50 millimeter, 1.8, $250 lens, you walk into a hundred person club and that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. And if you know, you know, if you know how to use it, you know, like yep. I've, I've got a 50 millimeter lens and I know how to use it. So, yep. um, you know, and, and you can start really when you're advanced enough, um, and knowledgeable enough of being able to combine, you know, the, you know, the thing, the things that we used to combine to create style and look were film type. And there were many film types, right? So you could shoot black and white, fast speed film, black and white, slow speed film, high grain color film, two and a quarter, 35, 45, uh, four by five. You know, you could cross process it. You could shoot daylight film outdoor, indoors, indoor film outdoors. Um, you know, and then on top of that, you could shoot with a wide lux or a 35 or a Hasselblad or a four. You know, you had all these formats and then on top of that, you had all these different lenses, you know, and, uh, and so you could take all of those things with, you know, your ISO, your shutter speed, your aperture, um, your lens, your film choice and create a look and a style. And now it's sort of been boiled down to the same sensor, more or less the same software, the same tricks with the same plugins and sliders and Lightroom or whatever you're using. And, you know, we become a, uh, a homogenous, you know, kind of boring um, group of people that are trying to, I mean, I remember when digital really first was starting to really take hold. And I felt like some of the more creative people out there were the wedding photographers. I mean, the wedding photographers like had really kind of figured it out and they had, they had kind of tapped into some really kind of very simple plugins that gave some really nice, simple tones, you know, before you could go buy 5,000 plugins for twenty nine ninety nine. You know, there was things that could, you know, that were just very subtle, right? It wasn't a lot out there. Um, and it could, you know, it could help define your look and, you know, and, and wedding photographers that, you know, good wedding photographers were always very good with shallow depth of field and, you know, the close up of the ring or the silverware or the bouquet or the invitation or the table, you know, all shot with, you know, beautiful bouquet, bouquet and blah, 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 you know, and, and you get a bunch of concert photographers are like, yeah, I got a 2470. I'm shooting wide open. Right you know, ISO 6,400 at 2.8 and I'm hopefully I'll get it, you know? And, 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 and it's the people that are thinking about all of those things combined to come up with a vision that'll help define the style. How, how interested you are, are you in the post-processing side of it? I mean, besides it just being necessary these days, are you more of a capture in the, in the lens in the moment or, no, or we do, do you really I, look to no, stylize? I, I, I mean, A, I have a full-time retoucher that works for me. There you go. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, so you, are you guys both Lightroom users? Yes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, before everybody started abusing the clarity slider, 
<laughs> I'm guilty. <laughs> and I'm guilty of it as well. Um, but before you could actually do, you know, idiot proof, um, uh, you know, Lightroom and not need any Photoshop skills, uh, I started seeing some like really unique portraiture coming out of Europe mostly that was super, super sharp and high contrast and just like, I don't want to call it cartoonish, but in a way it was. Um, not like the cartoonish software plugins you saw where, you know, where, you know, everything was like, you know, just cartoonish, like beyond anything. But like, I saw some stuff, I didn't really know how it was done. And I sat down with my full-time retoucher. So I had a guy that worked for me for 11 years and he just left, uh, six months ago and I have a new guy that replaced him. And so the old guy's name was Ben and Ben and I basically sat in front of a computer on and off for six months. Um, trying to come up with a look and a feel that was me, right? And 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 it was a and we we created a filter pack basically that we turned into an action, right? And again, this is pre Lightroom, and so what we did was, you know, we were we would add noise and we would take it back out, and then we'd go through a high pass filter, and then we'd pull it back out with a softening filter, and you know, and get some glow on the highlights, and we did all, you know, it has like twelve or fifteen, you know, because I my initiative always was Ben. I want it to look like film. I don't want it to look like a, a flat pixel. I want it to have some texture, you know, just like everybody always says, you know, I should film because it's got that warmth, you know, Oh, I don't, I don't make my movies with, you know, a digital camera. I make my movies with a film camera. I don't record with a hard drive. I record on tape and with tube amps because it's got, you know, it's all of the same kind of thing. Right. And so Ben and I would sit there and we'd mess around and we'd come up with things and we'd tweak it and we'd look at it. And eventually I came up with this filter pack after, like I said, four five, six months that I really liked. And, uh, and Ben actually created an action, put a button on my laptop. Right. So I, so I would actually go into Lightroom and I would make my basic adjustments with exposure and, and stuff like that. And then you'd have to export them all out in high res. You couldn't do it in low res. You actually had to export them out at 320 inches or whatever, put them all in a single folder push that button. It was just like an app button on my laptop. It would point to the folder and it would cycle through in Photoshop. It would open it. It would do the action. Boom, 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 boom to the bottom. And then it would save it at the end as a low res JPEG. Okay. At 18 inches at 72. And then you'd have a new folder with new image. Actually it saved it over the other one. So your high res would just be gone. It would save them over as these low res images. And then all of a sudden you could post something on social media that had this like unique look, feel, style, right? And I did that probably for, I want to say somewhere between one and three years before Lightroom came out with their first clarity slider. And then all of a sudden people could start getting that high pass look just by sliding, sliding, you know, and, and I, I started having all these artists say to me, that dude's copying you. Wait, man, that, that's your look. That's your style. And, and I'm not saying that I, I invented this thing. But but certainly in the jam band world and in the photography world, like I was one of the first guys that like was doing it because not because I was smarter or more creative, but because I knew I didn't want my stuff to look like everybody else's because that sucked. Right? right. And I liked this. I liked pushing the limits. I didn't want it to look like flat digital pixels. And um, and it did create a style for me. And it was very unique. And people and, and people took notice of it because my stuff did not look like and some people hated it because. If you were an older musician and you put, have you ever put anything through a high pass filter in, in Photoshop, yeah. 
I mean, you know, if you've got a crevice on your forehead like I do, that crevice is like the Grand Canyon, right? You know, and so like older musicians would be like, "Ooh, that's not very flattering to my uh, my my sixty eight year old face," you know, and uh, but. But after a while, it just became the norm, you know, and nobody knows, like, you know, nobody's ever out there saying, well, Jay Blakesburg was the first guy to do this. And I'm not even claiming that I was because I saw it done in a magazine with a portrait of David Byrne and Tom York was the portrait that I saw. I don't remember who the photographer was, but it was out of some European magazine. I'm like, this is fucking cool. How do I do this? I think, you know, I, I actually have that complete reaction just to black and white photos <laughs> bj and i have this argument all the time it's like punk is in black and white and everything else is in color <laughs> and I always lose. but but you shoot a hardcore show or a punk show and it just flip it to black and white again you can do it in lightroom or really right, go sure. in and do it in photoshop and it looks great and all that stuff is a style i think yeah yeah i think it's everybody has when you talk about somebody's eye it is it really what they like and it gets into the heart of like why they're doing it. And, and, and if you can like get in touch with that, like you do, like that's when people start to like say, Hey, this is a thing. You know, this is not, this is something completely original and keep searching for that. When, you know, as far as like the actual capture of this stuff, you know, you shot portraits and uh, made, I think made films about a lot of like nineties and two thousands band. And you're shooting today. I think you, you just shot Lockin, right? Yeah, just shot Lockin. Yeah. That's that's where the Neil Cassell photos were taken. Yeah, that's right. Um, one question I had about shooting the dead is when you know we're standing in front of a band, especially a more modern band. There's a there's an eye towards from the band towards performance, right? And they'll give you a pose, you know, even if it's subconsciously, and say somebody's taking a picture of this. I need to make this move look good. Or you can be like, I, I shot Peter Gabriel one time and it literally between a verse, he just sort of looked down and mouthed, like, take the shot. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to take that shot, Peter Gabriel. I think that happens occasionally. But with the dead, I never, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't get the sense that they were putting on the show. Like, the music was the show. So how, and how do you, how you, yeah, how do you find those moments in there? Because all throughout this book are those, uh, for lack of a better term, action shots that that it, they're rock and roll as hell. Well, in the in the essays that are written there, one by Jerry's daughter Trixie, and I think even David Gans mentions it. You know, these guys were not rock stars. These guys didn't do pyrotechnics. They didn't have flames right. flying in the air and 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 you know confetti falling from you know blowing out of cannons or whatever. Um, they just had short shorts. Yeah, Bobby had short shorts. Um, <laughs> you know, my Little League coach told me in 1971, anticipate the play. Are either of you guys baseball guys? Yeah. You watch baseball? Okay, so so follow my logic here. Um, if you're in the field, right, it's more of a defensive thing, anticipate the play, right? You're in the field, and there's a man on first, and you're playing second base. Okay, you should think about all the scenarios. If a ground ball is hit to me, what do I do? You throw it to second to get the lead guy out or try and get the double play. If a line drive is hit to me, I catch it. What do I do? I throw it back to first base to try and get him out there. Okay, but at the same thing, if there's a man on first base and you're in left field and a ground ball is hit to you, what do you do? Right. You throw it to third base. So every position has a different thing. And so 
depending on what position you're in, when that person is up, depending on where those bases are happening, where those runners are, you should be thinking about what happens in advance if that ball is hit to me. That's the best advice anybody ever gave me to be a live concert photographer. It's exactly what I tell people when they ask me. (laughs) I'm like, you know, the course is coming. Right. You saw it already happen. Right. You can picture what's about to happen. Right. The lead, the guitar solo is about to come or the guitar solo, you know. And so with the Grateful Dead, because I'm a deadhead, you know, you can't quit the mob. So I'm still a deadhead. Um, uh, you know, when they're playing Sugar Mag, like, you know, that Bobby's going to rock it out at the end of the song. Right. And, you know, he still rocks it out at 73 years old. Right. But in 1981, he rocked it out differently. And you know, uh, to a greater degree and, and in a more intense way. And, um, uh, so if you knew the songs, you know, and there's other songs in the Grateful Dead repertoire that have those peak moments. Right. And so you were waiting for that moment where Garcia was screaming into the microphone and had his fist out and he was pumping it towards the audience or Bobby was lifting the leg or Jerry was lifting his guitar, you know? And so if you were, if you were, um, um, if you were ready, poised, and anticipating the play, you could capture that lightning in a bottle because that's what we do when we're shooting people on stage. We're capturing lightning. Literally, I mean, it all happens in a split second because if you miss that smile or you miss that flourish, it's gone before you know it. There's yeah. there's nobody standing there going like with their arm up in the air with a big smile and staying there for 15 seconds waiting for you <laughs> no. to get the shot. It's It, it becomes like subconscious, and I, I think it makes you... Uh, it's made me at least a, a better music lover. Uh, you know, I pay more attention to all the stuff that's going on. Uh, both PJ and I know are friends with uh, Bob Boylan and people wonder like how he got like just good at this so quick. And it's because he is so in touch with like the music. He he just sort of internalizes all this music. Just started shooting like three years ago. He just started showing up in the pit and was, uh-huh. like, he had a little Sony mirrorless camera and all of a sudden his shots turn out fantastic. And, and a lot better than a lot of other people's. So people are like, "Well, how does he do that?" Like, well, because he's he's there for the the music first, and then just figuring out how to translate that into another language. And and that, that yeah, that's key. Just paying attention to what the whole thing that's going on. I know you started out with the dead, and you kind of it's from what I can tell, you're kind of back in the jam band session type of thing right now. Uh, but in the middle, it seemed like you did a lot more uh, magazine work with alternative bands in the 90s and that sort of thing. Um, was that something you kind of just got into, or is that something you musically got into as well? Because it looks like you got into that and then hip-hop, but then came right back to where you started. And the, for the last maybe 10, 15 years, it seems to be more of that stuff. Yeah, so, all right, a couple things. Um so first of all, when I moved to the Bay Area in the mid-1980s, 1985, um, most music publications, and that's where I was making a living or trying to make a living or thought I could make a living, um, didn't give a shit about the Grateful Dead. Um, and the quote-unquote term jam band hadn't been invented, created, discovered by Dean Budnick, who's the guy who coined that phrase. And... Um, Fish didn't even exist yet, or maybe I guess Fish did exist for a year or two at that point. But you know, the the scene there was really the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers, and so I pretty much knew right away that if I was going to try and make a living, I needed to shoot other stuff. 
and and I I'm not a metal guy. I wasn't into hair bands. That wasn't my thing. But I actually really did dig the Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction and Soundgarden and Nirvana and all the other alt rock bands. The you know gazillions of them that came through San Francisco and every other major market. I mean, I first shot the Flaming Lips in 1989, and uh, and it's not because I was. Uh, hip or cool or whatever uh, is because I was actually listening to that kind of music and I was friends with those people and I met those people and that's, those were the bands I was pursuing. So, you know, like I couldn't necessarily go to a butthole surfers concert on a, on a Tuesday night in San Francisco and be like, Oh yeah, next weekend I'm going to see three dead shows. You know, they probably would have probably would have murdered me on the spot. But these bands make sense to me though. You know, it makes sense that you would go there. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, let me tell you something, you know, being in the in the pit or, you know, actually there really wasn't a pit back then right. in, in the late yeah. 80s when these bands were playing close cl- uh, clubs, you know, being in a um, being uh, up against the railing, crushed against the railing yeah. with moshers and people and no stage lighting and shooting black and white with a flash or, you know, or whatever it took to get the shot of like all this fucking energy that's just exploding <laughs> off the stage. I loved every, every fucking minute of it. And so I was way into all that music and I still am. And then as the jam band scene evolved and developed, um, there's a writer, her name is Jan Huelski, a good dear friend of mine. Jan wrote for the original Cream magazine back in the seventies. She helped uh, work on the Cream documentary that's out now. Um, I mean, she's old school. She, you know, Lester Bangs was her editor. Um, and, and, and Jan used to have this quote. She wrote the, she helped me, uh, edit a flaming lips book that I did about, I don't know, 15 years ago. And, uh, and Jan had this quote, which was rock stars are not your friends. Right. And, and I, and that's part of a cat. That's like a Cameron Crow, Lester bangs, almost famous. Right. Um, you know, like, you know, you got, if you're going to be objective and tell the real story, you know, you can't be having, you know, Friday night dinner with your, with these people. And I, and, I, and I prescribed to that philosophy for a while because that's where we all came from. And then I realized sure, that, sure. Was, that was not what it was in the jam band scene because we're all a more of a family and it's a different thing. And people cross-collaborate and jam with each other. I mean, I remember back in the old days, you know, in the early 80s thinking, oh my God, like what if David Bowie, Brian Eno, Peter Gabriel, and Adrian Ballou... And Robert Fripp all made a record together, you know, Um, you know, and now it's like, you know, you go to any jam band show and it's like most likely somebody's going to sit in with somebody, you know, Um, somebody's and and I love that. I did a book five years ago, seven years ago called Jam, and that's what it's about. People jamming with each other, you know, Uh, and so and that's what the Lockin Festival is all about. People jamming with each other and and in the jam band world, it's a different thing. And so over time. You know, I, I slowly got out of that, you know, 70s mentality that rock stars aren't my friend. And I've become friends with all of these people and they're my people and that's the people I relate to. And so, I mean, if the butthole surfers reform tomorrow and somebody would give me a photo pass, I'd go down at 58 years old and stand in the, <laughs> and the, yeah. and the, against the fucking rail and get crushed by a bunch of kids going to see the butthole surfers for the first time. Um, you know, like I love no, no effects and me first in the gimme gimmies and, you know, yeah. punk rock like that. I mean, I am a little bit too old to be in a mosh pit, okay? But, you know, for a certain thing, I'd, I'd fucking stick it out and go in there and get crushed for a minute, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and walk out of there with a little limp and a sore, sore back. But, you know, uh, you know I, I'm still turned on by doing what I do, you know? And so I still like all that energy. And 
you know, as photographers, you guys know, like who's in the front row, right? Not, right. Not the person who bought the five hundred dollar VIP ticket. It's us, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> That's accurate. I think you alluded this a while ago, but I've been at shows where I've I've respected the band on stage, but they're not my favorite. And you get to be the the thing between that energy, which can be amazing. You know, the band and the and the super fan. Have you had those experiences too, where you photographed some bands that you were not as passionate about, but um the fans kind of turned you on more. I think that if it's a band that I'm not a super fan of, I think that if you're that close to a band that's really talented, you know it and you can feel it. Yeah. So it's, I don't have to be a, a mega fan of an artist, feel that energy, you know, blowing you over and, and connecting that movie, you know, that music connecting with those fans. And, uh, and I love capturing that because I think that's the magic of it all. Yeah. You know, that that's the magic and that's what we're trying to, to preserve. I have a little club just literally down the street from where we live in Milwaukee now uh, called the Cactus Club. And uh, it's usually like seven to ten bucks a show. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Midwest, I guess you don't need a lot of photo passes. But uh, I'll, I'll just randomly go down there and do that shoot a band. And it's just like an audience shoot. If the room's full, it's great. But you're pushed up against it and i don't even need to know who is playing a lot of the times and a lot of times i don't anymore and it's just and it's fun seeing, it's just... seeing those people react is it's fucking like um it, it it just makes you whole yeah i mean there were so many projects that i've always thought about wanting to do like you know go to a funky nightclub and bring up you know a backdrop <laughs> and studio lights and and do that for six months and just photograph fans but you know yeah. uh, life kept getting in the way of of, of ideas and you know or or you know doing doing documentary projects like at the cactus club in milwaukee yeah. where you're you're creating you're documenting sort of this underground bubbling up young scene that yeah. you know may never go anywhere but from a visual standpoint it still is visual anthropology you're still documenting right. this tribe yeah. and this experience and i think that from a pop culture standpoint it's important that people do yeah. that and it's important that we um document that stuff now it might never make you any money and it might just sit on a hard drive forever (laughs) you know but who knows that kid who's 17 now playing at the cactus club you know or 18 or 20 or whatever who might disappear for 10 years might come back when they're 35 and have the biggest hit song on the radio and you've got the shot of them when they were you know forming their chops their creative mojo and and so and i think that's important i like i like working with artists for decades like you know yeah, I know a yeah. lot of people that are like, oh, I don't need to go shoot that band. I just shot them three months ago. I want to shoot them every three months for the rest. You know, like like Michael Franti and Spearhead. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been working with Michael for 30 years. I first shot Michael in 1987 or 88, right? Um, Flammy Lips, first shot them in 89. Um, you know, and then there's bands that, you know, have national followings that are small. Like, I don't know if you know a band called the mother hips, right. Based here in California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've been shooting them since 93, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's more than 25 (laughs) years, you know, know, uh, Jackie green been shooting since he's a kid, you know? And so there's all these different artists that, that I like having these ongoing, I want to shoot them over and over and over and whether or not they ever make it to be big stars. I want to be able to go back and be like, yeah, I worked with that band when they were a little band, when they were a big band and when they're a little band again, and then maybe they're a big band, you know, who knows, right? It's all in cycles. 
Um, but I love the fact that I've got that history in on film and, and hard drives. How many times did you end up shooting Jerry or the dead? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. No. 60, 70, 80, something like that. Like in, in looking through the book, it seems like you were at these points in his life. Like you, like uh, in a good way, the book made me sad looking through it today <laughs> because it felt like he had just died yesterday. And I was like seeing how this, this, uh, sort of history of this man, I think in John Mayer's introduction, he said it was the detailed map of the man. And you took that idea and ran with it through the whole thing. So by the end, you can feel this humanity, which we don't often get out of like our heroes, our rock stars, you know, to a lot of people, Jerry is just Papa bear. It's some like cosmic figure. And he is cosmic, but he also was a guy. I produce a podcast called dead to me with Casey Ray, where we're really digging into the dead. And it's been fun to go back into that and get past my fandom of the dead into trying to understand them anthropologically. And just, I don't know, this this seems a perfect companion to especially this renaissance of not just jam music, but the Grateful Dead are really finding their a new audience again. They're bigger than they've ever been right now. Yeah. By, by 1987, when I was trying to make it as a photographer, trying to figure out how to make it as a photographer, I started shooting a little bit more or as much as I could, 87, 88, 90, um, because I felt like it was important to document it, you know? And I, I, I had no idea when it had no idea when it would end or how it would end or what it would turn into. Um, and there's so much of it that I never saw or shot because I was in California and there was a lot of stuff on the East Coast and I didn't really, you know, I stopped going to East Coast dead shows because I was trying to make it as a professional photographer sure. in the Bay Area. And I was like, if fucking Jane's Addiction was playing, I was shooting Jane's Addiction. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad that I did, you know. Um, and so I really wasn't chasing the Grateful Dead towards the end there because I was trying to shoot other stuff that people were actually paying me money to shoot because I had rent to pay. And, you know, and, and even though I was living in Oakland at the time and paying like $135 a month in rent, I was still a starving artist, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where it lands, I mean, there's photos in here. You see, like, there's a photo, my favorite one in the book is him and uh, Robert Hunter. Mm -hmm. And Robert Hunter is holding up his hands, sort of like, uh, and Jerry is just looking at him like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. And, and, and in that photo, you see, like, these decades of friendship. Mm hmm. And it's just, uh, there's a lot of, of surreally beautiful moments in this book like that. That You uh, uh, did a great job, is what I'm saying. Thank you. Uh, and if I may, you can yeah. order signed copies from me directly at yeah. www.rockoutbooks.com. Uh, so we've got the books in. They came in last Friday. So nice. the, the official release date is uh, October 31st, I believe, although... Some places, some places should have, you know, books, some bookstores should have it in by mid-October. Um, but if you want to get a signed copy in advance directly from me, just go to rockoutbooks.com and, and, uh, there's a place in the notes section where you can tell me who to sign it to. And, uh, uh, we're, you know, I've shipped out over 500 books in the last, uh, three, four days. That's, that's great. That is fantastic. Uh, well, thanks for talking, Jay. And yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, I mean, maybe we'll see you on the show sometime. In the secret space of dreams, where I dream, amazed when the sea.
Big thanks to Jay for hanging out over the internet and uh, honestly for making this book and for all his work. But this book uh, is, sort of touched me. You can go to, like I said, rocketoutbooks.com, order that up right now and order all his stuff. And uh, he, uh, we talked about some stuff coming up that I think you're going to be you're going to be pleased with. Talked about it off mic. And uh, I did get to see him. I don't know if you guys watched the the Neil Casal tribute that just happened this past week. Uh, it was touching if you were, if your life was ever touched by Neil Casal. It was a little heartbreaking, but you could see, along with all the fans, you could see Jay right there in the front row uh, and uh, doing what he does best, which is capturing the world of music through his lens. So thanks again to him. Uh, that is it for this episode of Discologist. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating or a message there. You can listen to us on Google Play, Mixcloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. We're out there everywhere, kids. Under ChunkyGlasses.com. And you're going to see uh, the people uh, that mentioned them up front that, that really are the heart and soul of ChunkyGlasses.com. Mauricio Castro and his team of photographers there in Washington, D.C. are out there every night. Uh, taking pictures of the best live music, uh, and and they are, they are the best at what they do, in my opinion. And someday you're gonna see be seeing a book from Mauricio, or Avery, or uh, Carolina, or uh, Joel. Yeah, these guys and girls are just uh, fantastic, and it is always humbling to be working with them. So wanted to let them know that, uh, but they are they are much appreciated, and I hope you guys appreciate them too. So go to ChunkyGlasses.com and check that out. Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about Wilco this week. Uh, Wilco has a new album coming out called Ode to Joy. Uh, it is... Uh, I'm not going to spoil that. But we're going to be talking about it. It's, it's, it's a, we're going to be talking about it with Matt Dwyer from the Helping from Pod, amongst other things. Uh, we're also going to be talking to Kim Ware. She has a new album out under her name, The Good Graces. That's coming up soon. We're going to be talking about uh, I'm going to be talking with Jonathan again about 111 Heavy and Moon Duo. I think we're going to be doing that. And uh, got a whole other slew of releases coming up that I think you're going to dig into. We're trying to we're trying to get you exposed to like all kinds of music, not just both kinds of music. Uh, and speaking of both kinds of music, we're, we're not going to be talking about the Sturgill Simpson album. I've had a few people talk. We're happy to have any people ask about that. And um, you know what? Big hype cycles are what they are, and they speak for themselves. So we're just going to let that one fade off into the distance. So that is it. We are out of here. We're going to talk to you in a few short days. Until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Kenobi!